You know, Valentine's Day is this Wednesday, and every store and every business and every kid, you know, is thinking and talking about love. So, all right, let's talk about love. And not just because, you know, it's Valentine's Day this week. You know, we're Christians, and we should love. Above all else, we need to love. But what exactly is love? You know, this is the part that I think our society, and sometimes we get wrong. We get love, true love, wrong. You know, and as John said, shot through the heart, and you're to blame. You give love a bad name. I play my part, and you play your game. You give love a bad name. You give love a bad name. Yes, that was John, John Bon Jovi. Look, our society, thank you for laughing at that. I really appreciate you loving that as much as I did. Our society has a lot of different versions and definitions of love. You know, one might say there are 50 shades of love. I remember, I'm sorry. Look, (laughs) I remember as a kid at home, we had a big set of, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica and a huge Webster's Dictionary. Mom and dad instilled in us kids a passion for learning. And I learned a lot flipping through those books. You know, today we find ourselves in a war on words. Have you seen that? Language itself is up for grabs. In our generation, words themselves are losing meaning and just trying to define something or saying that you subscribe to a definition of something can get you labeled as a combatant, right? So transgender, transracial, transhuman, in a world where everything is blurred, it can be refreshing to talk about actual things with actual words that actually mean something. So, so brace yourselves. Things are going to get controversial. I believe that love is an actual definable thing. There's not my kind of love and your kind of love and their kind of love. No, there's an actual real love And then there's a million different other things that, you know, though many would argue otherwise, are not actually love. They are counterfeits. And so books and movies and media and everything revolves around love. You know, we could talk all morning listing just all the songs that we know about love. Why? What's love got to do with it? Sorry, I had to do it. I couldn't couldn't stop myself. Because there is a, there's a global famine of love, okay? Every year, more than 40,000 Americans die by suicide, all right? For every, for every one successful, 25 attempted. In 2009, suicide was the seventh leading cause of death for males and the 16th leading cause of death for females. In 2015, just a few years back, suicide was the second leading cause of death for people ages 15 to 24, the third leading cause of death for those between the ages of 10 and 14. Okay, from 1999 to 2010, the suicide rate among Americans in the age brackets of 35 to 64 increased by nearly 30%. If we are made in God's image, and the greatest loss is the loss of our own human potential, why are we killing ourselves? Why are we killing our babies at the rate of over a million per year? We live in a society that's more globally connected than any before, and yet we throw away real relationships faster and more than ever. It's all disposable now. 
people that are too old or people that are too sick or people that are just inconvenient are nothing more than the wrapper on your Big Mac to be tossed away. Mother Teresa got it right when she said there is more hunger for love and appreciation in this world than for bread. And here's what the Apostle Paul says about love. I think we should look at that this morning. Will you stand, those of you that can stand this morning, for the reading of God's word? From 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice. It rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing love. So pour out your love on us until we are completely changed by it. Help us to know more and more what love is and what it means and how to give it away. In Jesus' name, and everyone said You may be seated. This is a great descriptive passage because it helps us to get God's definition of love. And at the end of the day, his definition is the only one that really matters. Here's a little nugget for you. There's no such thing as true love any more than there's a thing as true truth, okay? Truth is either true or it's a lie. Love is either love or something else, right? There's, not, there's no such thing as strange love or tainted love or puppy love, whatever the songs might say. Look, Paul wants us to know the truth about love. So he is explicit about what love is and what it is not. Because he was living in a time just like ours where love is, you know, given a bad name. Free love, loving, you know, where loving somebody means tolerating all the wrong that they do or that, you know, loving someone means expressing that love physically even if you're not married to them. Love, you know, should be, mean you should be free to express it through sex no matter who or what it is with or if you were in a covenant of marriage or not. You know, the goddess of love, Aphrodite, was called on at that time as a scapegoat for acting out all society's impulses. It was in the name of love. And doesn't that sound familiar? So Paul is speaking right to us. And he gives us a list not only of what love is, but what it's not. And he's, and he's casting this in a contrast so that we can see it. It's patience versus impatience. It's kindness versus cruelty. It's, it's to be content and supportive versus envious and jealous. It's complimentary versus boastful. It's humble versus proud. It's considerate versus rude. It's cooperative versus willful. It's pleasant versus irritable. It's unconditional versus contractual. Love is moral and ethical and just. It's about persevering versus abandoning. It's about being faithful versus being faithless. It's about being hopeful versus being hopeless. It's unbreakable. And, you know, it's impossible you know, in one conversation to completely unpack everything that love is. So, you know, each one of those points could be a sermon all about itself, but I feel like our culture has given love a bad name in two key ways that I want to talk about. So first, let's just go right to the elephant in the middle of the room and just say, love is more than a feeling. Can we still have some fun in church? It's okay, right? All right. 
let me be clear here. When I met Kirsten and when you met your spouse, what you did not do was immediately go home and like draft a list of the, you know, positive qualities versus the, you know, negative qualities and then draw a bottom line and go, hmm, I think, yes, uh, there's enough positive here. I will love this person, right? You know, you did not do that. No, you had attraction to that person, right? They made you laugh. They inspired you. You know, maybe they irritated you. I don't know. They teased you. They caused you to stay up at all hours of the night talking about everything and talking about nothing. And there were these feelings. There was a tsunami of emotions. And you would say, I, I, I think I'm falling in love. It was disgusting. <laughs> Everyone around you was nauseated. But you see, that was attraction. Attraction is an emotion. Attraction is important. But love is essential. Okay? Love is not an emotion. If someone falls in love with you because of emotions, they will fall out of love with you because of emotions as well. Suddenly that rush of lovey-dovey, you know, emotions isn't now powerful enough to overcome the annoyance of whatever, waiting for you to get ready to go, or whatever it is. I love you too, babe. (laughs) Rejoices in the truth. Look, what is not being said here in Paul's description is that love only exists when a person never has a reason to feel impatient or to express cruelty, that a, a person is loving only because they've never had a reason to feel envious or superior. They've never had a reason to be rude or stubborn, never had an occasion to make an unethical choice, never been misused to the point of just throwing up their hands and walking out, that they've never had a reason to doubt. No. Love is about making choices in spite of all of those things. Because emotions come and go. Chasing after emotions is like, you know, teasing a cat with the laser pointer. You know, what is the point of that? Love is about making choices based on our principles and letting the emotions follow our actions. Love is patient. It makes decisions based on what is best in the long term. Studies show that women who are virgins when they marry have only a 6% chance of divorce. But everything that society is telling us is that, you know, if you are attracted to someone, you should absolutely start taking your clothes off, right, with them. But studies have shown that couples who wait to have sex until they are married have better sexual satisfaction after marriage. So if you want to have the best sex in your life, have sex after you're married, I'm just saying. But it all comes down to feelings now, right? Doesn't it? We made an idol out of our emotions. And Christians do this too. And, and we read in 1 Corinthians, you know, if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but I didn't, have, didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, 
I would have gained nothing. And so, you know, being good little Christians that we are, we read this and go, oh, you see all of these spiritual things I could do, but if I don't feel love, then it's like I'm doing nothing. So if I don't feel like it, if I don't feel love, then I shouldn't do it. And it gets twisted into meaning, well, that we should only, you know, do the right thing when we feel like doing it. We should only give when we can feel cheerful about it. If I can't, you know, feel cheerful, then I shouldn't give at all. Oh, it's quiet this morning. How does that reasoning make any sense? I don't only take out the trash, you know, on Tuesday when I feel romantic towards Kirsten, okay? It's not like, oh, well, she's, you know, she's uh, looking really hot and being really flirty. I think I'll take out the trash so she really knows how much I love her. How, that doesn't make any sense. No, we serve God and we serve each other with something called commitment and consistency that comes from a place far beyond our emotions or the circumstances or whether we feel that somebody deserves it or is even capable of appreciating it. Love is not a slave of circumstance. Love is free. Love is not a leaf blowing in the wind. Love is the wind. Okay? The, the definition of love being discussed here is not a frail snowflake that will disintegrate at the slightest touch, but something that is as powerful and as bright as the sun, able to bring light and life to everything that it touches. Love never gives up. You say you love your kids, you say you love your family, and sometimes you feel like giving up, right? All right, feel like giving up. Go ahead, feel feelings, Paul does not say love feels patient and love feels kind. Love never feels irritable, never feels hopeless. The word feel is not in any translation of this passage, okay? And that's a wonderful thing, really. It is because it's freeing. You might be stressed out thinking somehow that you've fallen out of love with your spouse because, you know, they started irritating you. No. Paul uses the word is. Love is kind. You don't always feel kind. Am I right? But when you love, you do what is kind. Love isn't a feeling. So when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He's not saying that you have to feel feelings, you know, for the enemies, right? All those people who lie about me, those people who are trying to destroy me at work and destroy my career— Aren't they the greatest? I'm so in love with them. No. No, it says in Romans chapter 12, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. And this presupposes that there is such a thing as pretend love, counterfeit love, a thing that is labeled love, but when you taste it, you spit it out because you realize you just got lied to. Mm -hmm. There are countless versions and slogans and internet memes and bumper sticker philosophies about what love is. But here we see that love is invested in morality and in ethics. Love is discerning, like mom who knows when you're lying to her, okay? Love is ethical. It hates what is wrong and is not too timid or afraid to call that out and reject it. Genuine love will not be passive about what is good either. 
It won't trade it or drop it or, you know, let it go, especially when, when it's surrounded by voices that are telling it to give it away or telling you how foolish you are for holding on tightly. It's a world where people are, are far more comfortable when you can be there for their convenience. And you realize that when you are no longer convenient to them, there's no relationship left. Love is what matures us together. It grows us together. It binds us together. And it gets us to a place where we can give ourselves away without masks, without hypocrisy. And we can give ourselves away freely. Emotions are self-centric. They're based in our own thoughts and our own experiences and our own perspectives on things and our own expectations. You cannot be consumed by yourself and your thoughts and your problems and your opinions and be able to love because love is others-centric. It's able to let somebody else get in the driver's seat. Regardless of how you feel, because you love You will be patient. You will be kind. And every parent who's ever stayed up with a kid all night because they were sick knows what I'm talking about. Because your emotions are saying, I'm so tired right now. I have to get up early tomorrow. But because you need assurance, because you are feeling like this, because you need my presence with you, I'm right here. 1 Timothy chapter 2. But she will be saved through childbearing if they abide in faith and love and holiness with self-restraint. So can I just say something a little crazy here about this passage and suggest that it's not just the women. It's the men too. I'm not not talking about childbirth. Don't go crazy, okay? Let's not go crazy here. I'm suggesting that there is a kind of saving that children do for us right? You know, because as adults, we get so caught up in the negative. We get so caught up in all the, the stuff that's going on in our lives or in the world around us, but a child reminds us there's still such a thing as innocence. There is still beauty. There is still wonder. There is still laughter. There is still joy, and that even silliness and things that, that you know, that are ordinary can make us stop and imagine again. Children need things from us. They need our protection. They need our, they need our help getting dressed in the morning. They need our help wiping their bottoms. They need our help going to get the Band-Aids, right? They need our help with the homework. And they need our affection and they need our attention. Children teach us about love. They get us out of our own heads and they show us the wonder of a rainbow or of a tiny bug or of a frog. Children make us do what we don't want to do. And we don't feel like doing, we otherwise would not do, but we do it because we're compelled by love. And if we miss love, then we've missed everything because God is love. And we understand something about how God loves us when we give love to our children. Don't let anybody fool you into thinking that if you love, that you'll never have negative emotions like irritation or impatience or disappointment. Who in your life drives you the craziest? It's your family, am I right? Because you love them. You're invested. You care about them. They're the closest to you. 
And God gave them a superpower to annoy you, unlike anybody else on the planet. Any french fries, anytime you want. <laughs> Maybe uh, there's something we're forgetting here. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Fear is a a negative emotion. And if we have fear, before you uh, run this clip, I've got a um, a clip I want to show you this morning. Let me set it up a little bit because I don't want to assume that everyone is as geeky as me. That would be a tremendous mistake. But I've got a clip here for you from a movie called The Lord of the Rings. Okay? Very popular fantasy book. Read it. You will love it. Uh, if you're, you know, as geeky as I am. But, but this, the gist of the story here is that there is a ring of power that has been made. Whoever has the ring has all the power, except that it's twisted for evil. And the only way to save the world is that someone's got to take this ring and throw it back into the volcano where it was made. And it falls to these two young men. They're hobbits, but whatever. To do this impossible task. And as they get closer and closer to the mountain, the temptation and the weight of the ring is really having an effect on one of them. Go ahead and roll the clip. that everyone will be that to somebody else. 
They're both afraid. Sam asks Frodo, do you remember the taste of strawberries? Do you remember the garden in the spring? And Frodo can't remember any of it. And you can tell neither one of these guys, they, feel, they don't feel like finishing the task, but love will overcome the fatigue. It will overcome the hunger. It will overcome the fear. And just like I was talking about last week, you know, where Jesus meets up with those two disciples on that road to Emmaus, he, he showed them that he was with them the entire way on that journey. And Jesus is with you on your journey. Regardless of how you feel, like Frodo says, I feel alone. I'm in the dark. But he wasn't alone, and you are not alone. No matter how you feel, make your decisions based on love, not on fear. We might feel afraid, but allow the love of God to override the emotions. In the clip you saw, Sam loved his friend Frodo. It's evident because he does something. He picks him up on his shoulder, and he carries him. And in that, we see another truth here about love. Love is visible. Emotions are invisible. You cannot tell by looking at me what emotions I might be feeling. I cannot tell by looking at you what emotions you might be feeling. Some of you look like you might need a cup of coffee, but I'm just saying. <laughs> love can be seen, right? I was listening to the story of someone talking about how, how they were traveling, uh, you know, and they got delayed at O'Hare Airport. There was a huge blizzard. It shut down all the flights. Everything was delayed. People were so furious because now, you know, there were transition flights. It was like dominoes. You know how that works. And so people are getting off of the plane. They are literally screaming at the stewardesses. They're screaming at the flight attendants. You've caused this, and I can't get to this plane, and blah, 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 blah. In the middle of all the yelling, he, he, said, he was saying that there's this one mom. She had already had kids, little kids of her own, and she started telling the parents, I have always wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. So if you need to go to the bathroom, if you need to go get something to eat or whatever, just leave your kid. I'm going to read some stories to the kids, and you can do whatever it is you need to do, okay? Same situation, same set of circumstances, two very different responses. Love can be seen. Love is a choice. Love has evidence. You say you love your spouse, but you never spend time with them. You say that you love America, but you never vote or get involved. You say you love Jesus, but he says the evidence that you are mine is the way that you love others, not the feeling of loving them, the action of loving them. You are patient with them. You are kind even when you don't feel like it. You are hopeful even if you don't feel hopeful. You are truthful. And I love that the word truth is tied to love. Love rejoices in the truth because truth is not a feeling either. And there are not shades of truth. In fact, you notice there's not like, you know, truths. There's not a plural version of that. It is the truth. But you do hear lies, right? Because there's lots of lies. But there's one truth and then there's everything else. And we cannot say we love each other if we are lying to each other. 
And this is where culture has gone wrong because culture defines love as, you know, now it's just acceptance and approval and tolerance, but it's not love if I hug you and treat you nice, but I never tell you that your lifestyle is killing you here on earth and it's going to kill you in eternity. It is not love if, if I never tell you that greed is killing your relationships, it's killing you in this world and it's going to kill you in the world that's coming. It's not love if I hug you and I smile and I'm nice and I talk to you like you're my best friend, but I never tell you pride is killing your relationships and it's going to kill you in the world that's coming. And that is where we are different. No matter what sins you have committed, this altar is a place for all of us. The cross is just as much yours as it is mine. And it is because we love Jesus, we love truth. We love him, so we rejoice in truth, even when the truth, it's hard to hear and it's hard to say because it's not about what love feels that matters. It's about what love does. Speaking truth is just as much a part of love as patience and kindness and forgiveness. And if you say that you love someone, but you are lying to them, it's not love. So guys... Breathe easy next time she says, do these jeans make me look fat? (laughs) Don't you lie. Don't you lie. But you can tell the truth in love, okay? And you got to figure this one out, guys, all right? You got to figure this one out on your own. I don't know what it's going to come out like. You know, maybe something like, baby, those jeans, you know, they they don't do anything for you. You look so good in the space pants. I don't know. It's just whatever. You work it out, but you can tell the truth in love, right? But, but love isn't about the words that you say. Look at your calendar. Look at your schedule. Look at your bank account and observe what you love because love can be seen. It endures. Love endures emotions. It outlasts the phases and the fads and the seasons. Your love can be given through your time. It can be given through your talents. It can be given through your treasure. But when you give with love as the motivating factor, there is a power. There's a transfer of something that is even greater than the thing itself that you gave that is experienced by the recipient. And it enriches them. And long after the time was spent, and long after your talent was enjoyed, or that long after the treasure was spent, they will remember the love with which you gave it to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let all that you do be done in love. And John chapter 13. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We used to sing it as little kids in church. They will know we are Christians by our love, right? So it must be something observable. It must be something that is done, an action that can be witnessed. Because this is talking about a kind of knowing, a kind of educating that's being described. So guess what? We are all teachers showing and demonstrating Jesus to the world. And I think it's a good question to ask, am I a good teacher? If I was the only Christian that my boss or my coworkers or that my neighbors would ever see, would they know what love is? 
The only reason that you have anything at all is to learn how to develop it and then share it and give it away. 1 John chapter 3, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. What's there to do? Somebody's asking. I'm so glad you asked. Look around you. You have love, and you were meant to give it away. And it's, it's the small things. Stop thinking about some great fantastical thing. It's the little small things done in love that make a big difference. And if you think that small things don't matter, have you ever tried to go to sleep at night and you know there's a mosquito somewhere in the room? (laughs) There's a story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. Most of you are probably familiar with that story. It's about a businessman He's very successful. He has two sons. One of them comes to him and says, uh, Dad, I'm out. I want my inheritance now. You're not dead now, but whatever. I want it now, and I'm out. He gives him the money. The kid goes out. He blows it all on a, a, you know, a party lifestyle, finds himself destitute. Everyone abandons him. He's far away, and he's hungry. He can't, he can't find enough food to eat. He's miserable and destitute. And he comes to himself, and he thinks, you know, the guys that, that my dad employs are better off than me. I, I, I don't deserve to be called his son. Maybe if I went back and I owned up to how stupid I've been, he would just hire me. And he goes back home, and, and his father, he finds out that he learned something. He learned something that he had he'd got wrong about his dad. In fact, both of the sons were wrong about dad. They both learn a lesson about love. And the father demonstrates that home is a place of love where failures can be forgiven. Broken relationships can be restored. Home is a place where the miracle of love can show us glimpses of heaven. Both of them thought that they would have to earn that from dad. He comes back, he apologizes, and then he throws a big party, and then the other brother's all ticked off. But I've been doing this, I've been faithful, and you've never... He's like, everything I have is yours. Why are you trying to earn something that's already yours? When love is offered, receive it. Some of us find it so hard to receive love. But pride and love cannot coexist. And we see very clearly that to love is to give away that which is most precious, to give yourself away. But you cannot endlessly give and give and give unless first you have received. Because there's no quicker path to darkness and anger and self-pity than to give what you don't have. That's emotional bankruptcy. It is a spiritual deficit because you are living outside your means and you're you're borrowing, you are burdened. And what's worse is deep down, it all feels pointless because guess what? It is. It is pointless. In this story, the older brother, he could not offer unconditional love. He, he, he didn't see it. He didn't think he was receiving it. So if, if, if you are struggling to forgive... Maybe it's time to take a a self-evaluation and remember how much God has loved you and freely given to you. Love undeserved. 
that you didn't have to earn. Today, Jesus is saying to you, I see your need, and I have more than enough love to meet it. Come to me. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And in chapter 15, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love is tied to action. God loved and he gave his son. Jesus loved and he gave up his life. And your love is only proved when there is an action associated with it. So let's stand today and tell God that we love him. Come on, stand with me and tell him, I love you back. I love you, God.